Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at japanbyrivercruise.com and due to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This week's show is sponsored by The Apologists Incorporated. What do you do when you've said something so dumb that you need to apologize to the whole world? Sometimes the things that pass for sorry in Japanese culture just don't get the job done abroad. And God forbid your apology might come across as a reactionary gesture performed out of obligation rather than an actual statement of remorse. That's where we come in. At The Apologists, we can provide real-time apology translation to localise your plea for forgiveness to a Western audience. With services like filling in the silence of your 45-second bow with actual expressions of reflection and contrition. Advising you strongly that apologizing by joking in English, I'm sorry, he gets sorry, is a bad idea, and straight up redacting the parts of your apology when you blame women. All of our interpretation is real time and simultaneous, so rest assured your English apology will be precisely as late as your Japanese one. Please note, our interpreters will not be able to adequately communicate the issue that required your apology, express your understanding of why what you did was wrong, nor articulate how you plan to do better in the future if your original apology does not include any of that information. So, the next time you say something publicly that you forgot that you can only say privately, call the apologists. And also, resign. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. Hello, I'm Ollie Horn. And joining us this week is Steven Stepchinski, Bloomberg journalist whose extensive reporting on clean energy often overlooks the negative impact that hydroelectric dams have on the river cruise industry. Steven, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. On this week's show, Japan aims to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2050, which doesn't seem all that daunting when you consider that by then it will be underwater. But instead of just our usual doom saying, we're going to talk to Stephen about what Japan is actually doing with its environmental goals. Plus, Ollie's got your weekly river cruise recommendation. Ollie? Yes, Bobby. This week's recommendation is the Tokyo-based Mujirushi Kawakudari River Cruise, which translates as the no-brand river cruise, saying that they let the quality of the cruise do the talking and don't actually need to have a brand. I'll not only be reviewing the Mujirushi Kawakudari Cruise, or Muji for short, but the numerous Chinese and Korean startup cruises that have copied their distinctive minimalist-style boathouse branding and souvenir products, and also discuss the litigation that followed, where no-brand river cruise claimed that their brand had been copied and demanded lots of money. And an Okayama-based river cruise company experiments with a clubhouse-inspired business model. You'll need an iPhone to get on, and sometimes when you board a boat at random, MC Hammer is there. More on that later, but first, Soap Doc. Stephen, you may be the first journalist we've had on our podcast that has an active presence on TikTok. How do you feel about that? Um, you know, I, I, I thought that there was, a, there was an area of TikTok that wasn't being tapped and and there was there's there's there are the, there's an energy market. There are so many people who are interested in energy, and they they I'm sure they were on TikTok. So that's why I jumped in there. I really thought <laughs> I could capture the energy enthusiasts. And right now I boast I boast 66 followers, two of which may or may not be my parents. Um, and and I think I think I've really uh, you know I've I've caught the TikTok verse that's what we call it the tiktok verse 
uh, mm. by storm. So basically what you're trying to say is like my, my 70 year old sisters on TikTok. What you're trying to say is like yeah. that that market of people that are potentially investing in in energy futures, once they have enough disposable income to do so, they'll be going to you for guidance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The I, I mean, I, I don't make any decisions or I don't make any advice. I don't I don't give advice on on investing, but. You know, I just want to bring the facts. I want to give them the facts and give them some information on what's happening in the world. Um, I mean, the thing is, and, and I'm being now I'm being serious. There are a lot of people on TikTok who are like doctors, who are yeah. who are dermatologists, who are like HR folks, and they give real advice mm -hmm. and, and give updates on news. There are people from CNN who are on it. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's this there's this entire and FinTalk. There are all these finance people. So I really I genuinely thought. That I would find a following, and I and I found none. <laughs> there, okay. there are very, there's very little interest. <laughs> well, you say there's very little interest. We don't know that yet. Like, I, I'm I, obviously I was being a bit a bit cheeky, but like, yeah. <laughs> I watched a video of yours, which was you explained the U.S. natural gas market set to dubstep, and like yeah. they can't they can't there can't be a market of only sixty six people for that. There has there has to be more. I would say keep going. I'm I'm curious if any of that might have to do with the fact that people who have just kind of like a rudimentary understanding of investing have no clue what energy futures are about. Like I I've spent the last couple of years getting really into mutual funds and and kind of setting up all the Japanese versions of you know uh, retirement investing and things like that, but. I see your Twitter content about energy futures or about power prices and have very little understanding. Uh, like I haven't heard anything about it anywhere else. Do you think it's not as mainstream as other kinds of investing? I think I think it's not as, for lack of a better word, uh, you know, as attractive uh, as as maybe the Tesla or the Bitcoin or that sort of stuff. I think that gets a lot of screen time. And I think that that's that's very exciting. Whereas energy, you know, it's it they're all it's built on fundamentals, supply and demand. They're very old industries. They're a bit nerdy. You have to look at, you know, you have to kind of look deep down at the numbers. And I find it endlessly fascinating. When you when people talk about a barrel of oil, is that actually, is that literally a barrel? Are the, do these barrels exist? Um, yeah, actually, some some journalists tried to buy uh, physical oil. It's very difficult to actually as a, as a person, as me or you, to, right. to actually buy oil because it's super flammable and very dangerous, and the fumes are toxic. But yes, a barrel of oil is is a you know a barrel. Be it you know a lot of times it's just barrel on paper, so it's it's like a financial thing. Okay, that kind of makes sense because I was thinking right, like if you own a barrel of oil, you got to store that somewhere, and that surely that costs money. So could it, is it possible that people buy energy and they end up losing money because they got to yes. store it and can't sell it? Well, funny, funny that you mentioned this. Um, is it funny? Storage was a big problem this year. Well, sorry. It's interesting <laughs> that you mentioned this okay, because good. I've got a good segue into an interesting story about how oil prices went negative earlier this right. year. It, it, uh, the WTI, the U.S. benchmark for oil went negative because storage ran out. There wasn't enough room to store it. So people had to get rid of their oil because they didn't have a place to put it uh, because mm. there's a quirk. A futures contract expires at the end of every month. So if you're buying oil for February, it expires February 28th. And when it expires, you have to take physical delivery if you still hold that contract. And so one of those contracts was expiring. There wasn't anywhere to, there wasn't enough place to put it. And so people were paying other folks to to take their oil because they didn't have a place to put it. That's mad. I mean, that yeah. was that was the that was the biggest COVID upset of the year in in, yeah. in energy markets. Maybe it was. It was enormous, but 
The crazy thing is oil, Brent oil is back to $60 a barrel. It's recovered back to essentially what it was before, before COVID. That's crazy. Yeah, so I need to add that to my list of things to buy, uh, right underneath Bitcoin and GameStop shares. Um, so talking of old fossils, this week's JBRC Press Club is all about Tokyo Olympics chief Yoshihiro Morisan. So let's take a look at this week's news. The Japan Times reports Tokyo Games head Mori may announce resignation Friday over sexist remarks. If that lead seems like it could have been more concise, it's because a woman wrote it. Our own JBRC Press Club correspondents have followed up on the story. Yes, at my 2 yen tells us that Mori explained the reason for delaying the decision by saying, I'll need to talk it over with my wife, and who knows how long that could take. And reporter Phoebes Eats asks if Mori's recent change in attitude might be because it's his time of the month. That reporting in detail coming up later. If you'd like to join the JBRC Press Club, follow us at JBRC Pod for next week's assignment. Right, Stephen, this week we'd like to talk about Japan and where it gets its energy from. We're not just talking about convenience store coffee. We're talking about nuclear energy, environmentally friendly, sustainable energy and anything else. Where does Japan get its energy from? And is it environmentally sustainable? Well, first I can answer, you know, where does Japan get its energy from? Uh, 70% of Japan's energy, uh, its electricity rather, is, is uh, coal, comes from coal or comes from uh, liquefied natural gas. And those are imported from all over the world. Um, Australia, uh, Qatar, the United States. Uh, Japan has a very diverse supply of different fuels from around the world. So in terms of electricity, it's mostly foreign fuel uh right about 18 percent of the energy mix is renewables uh so you got your wind and solar uh that's come up a bit over the last few years and then there's there's a tad you know about a 10 percent depending on 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 the month uh of how much nuclear is online uh and 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 right now nuclear there are nine nuclear reactors have restarted under post fukushima safety rules now, some of them have to go offline periodically for planned maintenance. Sometimes mm. there are issues with the courts, and the courts uh, uh, put on a, like a karishobun, which is a temporary injunction um, to mm. shut the reactor because of calls by, uh, by concerned citizens in the region. Uh, but overall, only nine of Japan's 33 operable nuclear reactors online before the Fukushima reactor there were more than 50 reactors uh online well this is something that we discussed a little bit in the extras but uh after the fukushima disaster they took all the reactors offline and they've slowly started to restart them starting with the ones that are the furthest away from tokyo yes um sendai one and two were the first reactors to restart uh, and they they are in the southern part of Kyushu. And if you don't speak Japanese, Sendai is Japanese for expendable. Um, okay, so so where we're basically <laughs> no comment, at no is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so where we're basically at is uh, quite a lot of nuclear, but mainly fossil fuels and about twenty percent renewables that seems to be on the up. How does that compare to other countries? Uh, you know, w- when you look at Japan compared to uh, Europe or the United States. It's, it's difficult to make that comparison because so Japan, Japan and most Asian countries are behind uh, the West, behind Europe, behind the United States when it comes to renewable energy in, in terms of, of, of policies that promote um, renewable energy. But you also have mm. to understand that Japan is in a different scenario than a Germany or a United States. Japan is a small island. It doesn't have the space 
to build a lot of solar panels. They had one of the worst nuclear accidents in history, which required them to absolutely redo their entire regulation on, on operating nuclear power plants. And, and that forced a number of reactors to, to be shut permanently and slowly restart as the regulator goes through and, and checks them. So purely comparing Japan to other regions, Japan is uh, behind to an extent, uh, but compared to the, the situation that they're in, um, it's something that you have to remember. So, so since on our show we try to avoid uh, comparing Japan to other countries as much as possible, um, let's just look at Japan <laughs> as an independent. Japan hates it when you compare it to other countries. <laughs> Japan doesn't like that at all. Uh, just looking at it as an independent country, what are Japan's actual environmental goals and how are they hoping to achieve them? Okay. So in October, uh, Prime Minister Suga announced a goal to become uh, net neutral for uh greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Just a quick correction there, a present Prime Minister Suga. Uh, this will be released in 24 hours. We, we can just never be sure. Uh, he had, he, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, carbon neutrality by 2050. By 2050 um, was was the goal. And so that, that was after China said that they would become carbon neutral by 2060. And that was before South Korea said that they would be carbon neutral by 2050. So the region, North Asia as a whole, uh, there's been a push uh, to to hit emissions goals. And Japan had been under pressure, not just by environmental groups, but also by Japan Inc., the industries. Um, there have been stories out where uh, Sony executives or different company executives have said that the government has to do more to hit green goals because their shareholders want the companies to be green themselves. And if Japan doesn't set more stringent rules, then they're going to see their shareholders leave or or make some larger requests couldn't the companies set their own goals it's like if you don't make us if you don't make rules that we are obligated to follow we won't follow those rules and our shareholders will be upset bobby you raise a really good point and i think it's an important distinction uh the companies a lot of companies are <laughs> well setting done. their own goals and uh, you know you have um companies across the steel industry the power industry uh technology companies they're all setting uh, pretty harsh, uh, pretty pretty steep uh, emission guidelines, and they're looking at their scope one and scope two, which means the emissions that they produce, and then also scope three, their entire supply chain, the, the emissions from other companies that they might buy from. And mm. there are steps in Japan and around the world to try to lower those emissions. But uh, the reason why companies request the government to do something is most emissions in Japan come from the power sector. And if you're a, a, a tech company that has no uh, power capacity, you have to buy electricity from the grid. Your facilities are powered uh -huh. by by what's whatever is on the grid. So if there is, for example, a lot of coal, if there's no way for you to buy renewable energy credits, if 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 it's overall dirty or the or the all the systems that you use in Japan are dirty that are outside of your control, that scope three, then that becomes very difficult. I, I don't know. I'm I'm used to this idea of responsibility for saving the planet being placed on individuals and by seeing corporations very, very happy to be like, you guys should be bringing your own echo bags. You guys should be recycling. Whereas, you know, the corporations are polluting on levels that are so much exponentially higher than individuals are. But in this case, it kind of seems like 
there is something to this idea of, you know, companies that do have uh, a more environmentally friendly carbon footprint are being harmed by the fact that they have to get their energy in an environmentally non-friendly way. Is that fair? Uh, I'm not sure if I would use the word harm, uh, but they're, they're companies that are, they're facing challenges. Um, mm. when, when they're, when they're trying to promise their shareholders, we want to be clean. Um, and if there's no way for them to, to, to meet those promises, that's when they talk to the Kedan or they talk, uh, to the government and, and try to make these requests. This idea of kind of like dirty energy came up, um, what are the issues that Japan is having getting away from relying on coal? I assume they're mostly yakiniku related. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, who you had on the show, had a really good story about yakiniku. So uh, yeah, read Lisa, Lisa Du's story on yakiniku, and I'll answer that. You know, uh, Japan is landlocked. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Japan is an island. Uh, they have no natural resources. Japan has one operating coal mine in Hokkaido. Uh, but besides that, Japan has very little natural resources and Japan's the third biggest economy. They use a lot of electricity. So to keep the lights on, they're depending a lot on fossil fuels. And since the Fukushima disaster, when all of these nuclear reactors were, were shut, uh, they had to increase their imports of gas and for coal. Now, there have been calls by environmentalists to boost your share of renewable energy, to get away from coal, to get away from gas. Uh, but it is challenging for a utility to find the space to build out renewables, um, as well as it is difficult to depend purely on renewable energy, since if the sun's not shining or if the wind's not blowing, it's not always producing energy. And it's very difficult to, to, to see, to model, to forecast what your energy output would be if you're depending too much on renewables. So they've always sort of had a base load, is what you call a base load energy source as gas, coal, or, or nuclear. Um, mm. Now, Japan is trying to get away from coal. Uh, the government has announced that they're trying to shut 100 older coal plants. But according to analysis from uh, analysts at the IEA, uh, there there's really more the government can do. What Japan needs to do to actually hit emissions goals is they have to get the amount of coal in the energy mix down to 2% by 2030, according to analysts, but they're far above that. And their goal is still in the uh, uh, magnitude higher. People that are pro-nuclear that hear this will say, well, this is simple. We'll never need to burn a lump of coal again if all of our power comes from nuclear energy. In fact, we wouldn't even need to worry about the renewables debate, putting wind turbines or solar panels, because you know the whole country could be powered by by nuclear are these voices getting stronger is there more support there or is the fact that japan has suffered uh, a, a series of, of disasters as a result of the nuclear mean that that's that's never going to happen nuclear is an interesting conversation because i think a lot of people when they look from outside of japan uh they see that japan has 33 operable nuclear reactors um and and i've heard analysts or people that I've interviewed who aren't in Japan say, you know, they should just turn all those on and they would that would solve a lot of problems. But it's mm -hmm. a it's a technical difficulty because restarting a nuclear reactor in Japan, there are many stakeholders. So first you have to get the local government on board, then you have to get the prefecture government on board. And it's not an easy process. Their utilities have to hold many meetings with these uh, governments. You have to hold meetings with the people and you have to you have to under you have to explain to them why they want to restart the nuclear. On top of that, the nuclear regulator has to check 
every component of the reactor to make sure it's up to safety regulations. Yeah. And also, some of the people in those meetings are going to be women. and <laughs> It will take forever. Gonna... <laughs> I guess we ought to give some context. If you're listening to this episode like a year into the future, uh, that's, not just Bobby, that's not just Bobby being sexist for the sake of it. That's Bobby being sexist for the sake of ironic humor. Um, the Olympics, which, by the way, never happened if you're listening to this in the future. I hope I'm right. Uh, <laughs> Um, well, once presided over uh, by a, 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 a boring old man um, who said something publicly uh, that uh, he forgot that he could only say privately. Uh, sorry, Stephen. So for, for nuclear, not only do you have to have the local government, the regulator, um, you know, you also have to build out the plant. There are some construction requirements as well. So getting a plant up to the level where it can operate again takes a lot of time. It's a lot of investment. And there's a lot of social responsibility for the utilities um and 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 that that requires not only time but it takes takes money as well so we've talked about some of the goals that japan has set uh namely this uh net neutrality in terms of carbon by 2050 um but japan doesn't have a great track record for setting policy that matches its goals yeah i'm reminded of you know abe's womenomics you know raising the percentage of women in leadership positions to 30 percent by 2020 and then we hit 2020 and he was like yeah i meant 2030 and then that's just kind of dissolved. So in terms of environmental policy, are, are they on track with the policies that they're setting? Um, so for the 2030 uh, emissions, the Paris Agreement, uh, the, the, the reduction in, in emissions for 2030, um, according to analysis from the IEA, um, which is like an international body of energy analysts, they they say that Japan needs to lower the amount of coal in the mix to, to 2%. It's much, much larger than that. And Japan's current goals for 2030 isn't even, you know, they, they have coal uh, well above the 20% range. So Japan isn't exactly on pace to meet that Paris Agreement according to their current outlook when you look at what the IEA has said. Now, 2050 is a mm. long time away from now. Um, and they just announced this goal in October. So it would be difficult to say, but from any analyst to probably make the call whether or not Japan is on track for that. Is this one of those things where they set the goal in 2050 because it won't be their problem? <laughs> I, 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 I can't answer that exactly, but I can, I can tell you that um, what the government has been doing, they have been making a lot of goals and a lot of companies have been following uh, what the government mm. has been setting. So JERA is a Japanese company, and they're the biggest power producer in Japan. They're a JV between Shubu Electric and TEPCO. And they produce most of the power in, in Japan, and they have set a 2050 goal to be net zero. Um, Tokyo Gas, Japan's biggest gas distributor, has set a net zero target uh, for 2050. Now, there are a lot of ambiguity between what they want to do. And they, they want to depend on hydrogen and ammonia and all these advanced technologies that are currently are expensive, but in the future, likely the prices will come down. And yeah. so they're setting these wide goals, but you're right, the roadmap, and that's what the government's talking about right now. They're, they're looking at the roadmap and they're going to be redoing their 2030 goals. So the government is, is meeting quite regularly to discuss this and, and they'll likely make some sort of uh, change to their 2030 target. And when we're talking about things like coal, are we just talking about coal in the context of energy conversion, converting coal 
to electricity? Or are we also talking about industry and transportation and other sectors which may maybe lag behind these big energy firms because they need a lot more investment and they won't see a return for a lot longer? Right. I, I think what you're one interesting coal are you well so there's something called met coal, coking coal. And it's a type of coal that's used in a blast furnace and it's used to smelt. So the smelters, the the metal makers, right? The steel, the steel companies in Japan use that uh, in, in, in their process of, of making steel. Uh, and that type of technology, you need a really extreme heat. And in the future, they want to electrify it. But for now, you're still going to need coal. Or you look at the transportation sector, where Japan has set the goal of making, they think they're going to ban all uh, 100%, all new sales of 100% gasoline fueled cars by 2035 or the mid 2030s is what they've said but that doesn't include uh hybrid cars that that use some gasoline so japan will still be consuming gasoline to a degree after 2035 whereas some mm -hmm. some countries or, or california for example or, or different regions have said okay we're going to get rid of even hybrids so japan's standards compared to other countries aren't even as strict as as some other places but they are stricter than, than where they are right now. We've touched on it a little bit, but in terms of the economic benefits to Japan for going green, like I've, I've seen that the uh, offshore wind industry, um, I saw an article that said the offshore wind industry could lead to a $1.9 trillion windfall for Japan, which I'm just realizing was kind of a pun. A windfall, very good. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are the other kind of economic benefits that Japan could expect to see from uh, more green energy policies. So I think what Japan, the, the industries will be doing, they'll be investing in new green technology. So if you just look at the electricity sector, for example, uh, there's enormous money being put into offshore wind, which you mentioned. So that's definitely one area. Another one is hydrogen. Uh, it, it, it's if made with renewable energy, hydrogen can be a clean burning fuel. Um, nearly every Japanese trading house has invested in projects around the world be it in um, Germany or Australia, to create hydrogen-burning power plants or to create facilities in Australia that can um, generate hydrogen. Uh, there's another uh, outlook for, you know, other types of um, ammonia is a type of uh, fuel that could hmm. be used where if made with green energy could be mixed with coal to lower emissions or it can be burned 100% in a new type of power plant. So there are these advancements in the future that uh, Japanese companies are in the government are hoping to tap and by gaining that know-how and investing in those technologies, uh, it will help them build, uh, I guess, economic growth. I've kind of been under the impression for the last little bit that the world will be ending in the next 10 to 20 years. If things go well and it does not, then I'm gonna wanna know where I should be putting my money. You have any investment advice? I, I can't give investment advice. I don't give investment advice. No. Sorry, buddy. You might be able to give investment advice, but uh, will Japan ever be able to harness the power of Gambaru? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think I think one thing that's that's sometimes overlooked, and, and this is somewhat this is not really Gambaru. This is more like Gaman. Is <laughs> Japan after Fukushima the amount of energy cons conservation, the Setsuden, is is really yeah. impressive. Um, yeah, there, there were all these forecasts that, that predicted Japan was going to have to go to rolling blackouts, and yeah. it never did. 
uh, it never did. And when you look at Japan's energy consumption, it's on a downward trend. Of course, that also has to do with uh, low, you know, population is shrinking, but it also has to do with energy conservation. You know, technology is getting better. They're investing a lot in energy conservation. Uh, people are using less electricity. It, it is uh, it is something um, that the government is also pushing for them to help lowering emissions in 2050 is if they can just shrink the amount of electricity they consume, that will also be a, a smaller carbon footprint that they have to offset. We will continue to do our part by only releasing this hot air once a week. <laughs> Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 71 of Japan by River Cruise. If you're new to the show, please do subscribe. We have a new episode every single week. And thank you to our guest this week, Stephen, and to Bloomberg to loaning him for us. Uh, Stephen, where can our listeners find more of your stuff? Uh, please look under Bloomberg.com slash green is our new green vertical. We have a lot of cool stories and some data under there that you might find interesting if you want to read more about renewables and conservation. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week.